Only days away from the Super Bowl. And there's so much at stake for both teams. The question is, how will pressure play into this game? And who's feeling more of it? Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Courtney Cronin in for Sarah Spain. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm Jason Fitz, and we're going to start with some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And, you know, as we get into all of the excitement, Courtney, of the week that we expect for the Super Bowl and all of the great stories that come from the athletes that are doing so much and everybody having their opportunities and the chance to meet people and get better ideas of people's personalities, one of the things I can't stop thinking about is the perception of pressure. Because in my mind, I think about a Rams team that has an older team in the sense that a lot of guys have been in the league for a long time. They know what's at stake right now versus a Bengals team that feels like they're coming in loose and coming in on fire and coming in able to say, hey, this is fun. This is just a blast. I'm left to wonder if pressure is going to play a part in all of this because I'm not sure the Bengals even know how to feel it. Yeah, I was actually looking up the – average age Jason earlier for each NFL team and it's hard to gauge that as the season goes on but I found like at cut down day when they made the 53 man roster the Rams actually it's not by much but um they had a younger team their median age was 25.5 years old they were the sixth youngest team in the NFL the Bengals 25.7 years old so just a little older um but not nearly as experienced like when you talk about Joe Burrow Jamar Chase Joe Mixon T Higgins all of these players who have not been at this level before, have not played on this stage, there's still such a young core that I think it's natural. We look at them and say, okay, they're the underdogs in this. And I know that they hate that storyline. They are so tired of talking about that because they got to this point as a 10-win team this year. It's not normal. So they've already fought off all of the you know, expectations that they were going to fail in getting to the Super Bowl. So we need to respect what they've done so far, but I think it's like pretty easy to chalk this up and say, wow, are you going to be nervous on Sunday? Very few of you have been to this point before. I mean, obviously Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase won national championships, but this is the Super Bowl we're talking about, completely different stakes. And uh, I just don't feel like there is that same sort of nervous energy around this Bengals team as maybe other teams who have been at this point and are just as inexperienced at this stage of the game. So I I always go back to like my music roots. It's maybe the only way I can analyze some things sometimes in life. And I remember before I toured with the band Perry and I was playing with some different artists, I was playing with one particular artist that was relatively new to country music uh, in his career. He was young in his career, I should say. And uh, I remember his first single went number one and the second single went number one and everything was so easy. And the rest of us that were on that tour bus had been in the music business for a long time. And we're looking around saying, oh my God, how does this happen? How do you have back-to-back number ones out of the gate? And he was just very flippant with all of it. And I remember coming up on the bus when his next single had had died out at like number two or number three. And he was shell-shocked just sitting there because he never realized that there was a chance every single wasn't going to go number one. And in that moment, we kept looking around thinking, well, how do you not know? And it's because all he knew was tremendous success from the out. the from 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 the beginning and I I think about that in relation to the Bengals at times because while the the median ages are interesting I I look at guys like Odell Beckham Jr. and Von Miller and uh, Aaron Donald and you know you you go up and down the list and you can find guys that have been in the league for a long time Jalen Ramsey like they may not be old necessarily Matt Stafford but they've been around the league long enough to know what it means to get to the Super Bowl and then I think about Mixon and I think about Burrow and I think about Chase 
And then all of a sudden you start thinking, I don't know, like the leaders on that side have this level of like, yeah, this is just fun. And when it's just fun, it feels like it's easier to play within the moment within yourself. I'm not sure what it means for adrenaline in the first few minutes, but I think as the game plays on, if this game is close, I don't know that a, a team that is as young at skill position as the Bengals feel if they're going to get tight because there's just this loose energy to the way they approach the entire process. Yeah, it's is it fair to say kind of what do you have to lose, huh? right? Because, I mean, they got to this point, and they were a four-win team a year ago. And think about how quick the turnaround was. Of course, you want to win when your window is as wide open as it is. But they have – will ha they're so young that they're going to have so many opportunities to be doing this. I think that's the cool thing about the AFC right now in the quarterback landscape where you've got the Justin Herberts, the Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allens, um, and obviously Joe Burrow who's still playing right now. This is going to be like this for the next five to ten years, which is very exciting because you have this young crop of talent starting with the quarterback position that makes it a looser game, that makes it, you know, I mean, obviously it's a high-stakes situation, but it, does, it just doesn't feel like that. Like, I didn't get that vibe either um, during the AFC Championship game, you know, when, when they're down against Kansas City and they come back to win. Like I never got this. Like okay, this is this is doomsday. It's a, it, the game's over. The situation was was too much for the Cincinnati Bengals to overcome. They have this quiet confidence about them that I don't know if it's just because of where they were a year ago or even before that, before they drafted Joe Burrow number one overall, before they made the wise call with a third overall pick to take Jamar Chase over an offensive lineman, like. They got here strategically, and it feels like they realize that, but they're not putting too much stock into that, if that makes sense. Like, they, they're here for a reason, and they're not overthinking it. Yeah, which is amazing. It's Bain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin in for Sarah. I'm Jason Fitz. And if you don't believe us, just ask Bengals head coach Zach Taylor, who said this at his press conference about the young players on that team. I couldn't tell you what the average age is, but um, they, they certainly they're, – they're not overwhelmed by these moments. I think they've proven that really over the last two months. And, and so this is just another game to them. I know what the stage is. I know what the media is. But, uh, you know, that, that's why we've we've spent a lot of time with Duke Tobin building the team this way. It's a lot of guys who played in championships in college, whether it was at LSU or Clemson or Alabama or Ohio State. Um, and then, you know, a lot of these free agents we've signed have, have been part of playoff teams before. So these guys, they, they know they belong on this stage, and we're going to get their best on Sunday. Well, and, and just once I want somebody to come in beforehand and be like, yeah, this is crazy overwhelming. Like uh, coaches can <laughs> never say that, you know, but but there is another side to this. And this I, I want you to hear the other side because DeMarco Farr joined us last night on this show and said the opposite about who's going to play loose. I think this team is going to play loose. I think some of the pressure is off because of that NFC championship game was against the 49ers, your rival. And like I said, they you were outnumbered at home. So there was a lot of pressure on this football team to get it done. Go back to week 18. The Rams were crowned NFC West champion, and they put on those hats in the locker room because the Niners had just beaten them. So it was a little bit different. So I think this team is going to play fast and play loose. Uh, they'll have all the respect in the world for Cincinnati, but this is not like San Francisco. There's no psychological edge. You buying that, Courtney? I mean, I understand what DeMarco's saying about why the Rams could play loose, but it still feels like there's, you know, this is a team with a lot of players that understand the gravity of the situation. Yeah, and I mean, you have to think about what they did to get to this point and all that they gave up to make sure that they got to the Super Bowl. Of course, like, 
them getting here takes a big boulder off their shoulder, but I don't think that it means, oh, like whatever happens, happens. Like, no, they, they traded away all their first round, like all their draft capital basically for the next couple of years, all their important draft capital is with the Detroit Lions and is with the <laughs> – Denver Broncos from the Von Miller trade, like all these things that they did to be able to get to this point, if they don't finish the job, I feel like it's kind of like, well, what was that for? You got to the Super Bowl. You didn't win it. All those moves were win now, win the Super Bowl, do it at all costs. So I do think that there will be more pressure on the Rams, certainly. But you've got – I understand what, what DeMarco was saying, just from the respect of like Matthew Stafford alone. He got them to this point after there was a lot of doubt cast on Matthew Stafford this season because of the pick sixes and and when this team was in a hole in games that they lost, it was because he put them in a hole and couldn't get them out of them. Obviously, he's been playing great in the postseason because they're still playing, but I do think that the Rams probably have more pressure on them considering everything that they executed throughout the offseason, really from like a year ago right now when the Stafford trade uh, for Jared Goff and the whole thing, when that whole thing went through, like that's where their clock, their, their ticking, clock started ticking heavily and the window's closing and I feel like they've got to make something happen on Sunday more than the Cincinnati Bengals. What's crazy to the pressure angle to me is that everything you mentioned about Stafford is true, but if he has a, just a dog you-know-what of a Super Bowl that's awful – People are going to start yelling and oh, screaming. Yeah. If Burrow has a terrible Super Bowl, it'll be this is just the beginning of a great career. That's some straight talk, straight talk, wireless, everything for less, only at Walmart. We'll keep breaking down the Super Bowl. We've got some incredible guests coming up you do not want to miss tonight from the Super Bowl, from Radio Row. We'll get you all sorts of uh, insight from players that have played against both of these teams. But coming up next, the NBA trying to steal the NFL's th- We've got some big breaking news. We'll get it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app and Sirius XM Channel 80. Jason Fitz hanging out with Courtney Cronin in for Sarah Spain. Sarah Spain and Fitz presented by Progressive Insurance. And Progressive, they're making things even easier to help you bundle your home and car insurance together. So you can save on both. All you got to do is learn more at Progressive.com or go to 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. It has been a wild day. And, Courtney, I was, I was all in for this day of just talking about the Super Bowl. We'll get back to all the things that you need to know about the Super Bowl coming up. We'll talk to some offensive linemen that have faced Aaron Donald over the course of the show. In fact, first one we'll talk to in about 10 minutes. You don't want to miss it. But in the meantime, just when I thought that we could be focused only on the NFL tonight, the NBA came in and said, you know what? We would like to be part of the Thunder, and so we will steal some of it. That's what they have done throughout the course of the day, as it has been a wild day of NBA news, not the least of which is a trade I did not see coming uh, we've been talking for a long time about whatever the heck is going to be next at some point uh, for for the Blazers. We've been talking about how they continue to build, but we now know that they're not going to build with C.J. McCollum. He's no longer with them. He's been traded to the Pelicans. It's been a big day, as we've also seen the big news over the course of the day that Bradley Beal is going to undergo season-ending ending surgery on his left wrist. Like It has been Wild throughout the course of the day, and I keep thinking, Courtney, that this is only the beginning of it because so many teams are so packed so tightly throughout the course of the standings that it feels like total chaos can ensue over the next 24 to 48 hours with the trade deadline. Yeah, and we haven't even talked about um, Harden or Simmons yet. Like Those are the names I think that everybody listening are like, wait, do you have any news to break in on that front? And you're right. Buckle up for the next 44-ish hours uh, before the trade deadline happens on Thursday. Like There's so much here that could reshape the the 
outlook for several teams, especially those who realize that they're windowed to win and they're wasting time like the like the Brooklyn Nets. You know, you have a player like Kyrie Irving who's not even playing more than half the games because of the of the COVID-19 rules that he, he's choosing to you know, to, to not be vaccinated so he can't play those home games. Ben Simmons hasn't played this year. So you have two players who's, who are being shelved right now for, for really strange reasons uh, in their own respective rights. And you've got to wonder, too, like, are both of these teams, like, how are they going to approach the next 44-ish hours? And how is that going to affect the Eastern Conference and, and the race now the next couple months towards the playoffs? But, you know, bringing it back to C.J. McCollum and the Portland Trailblazers and the trade that, you know, sends a bunch of pieces from New Orleans out to Portland and, you know, C.J. McCollum pairing him for Zion Williamson's eventual return. Like, I know that the Trailblazers have talked about we're not in a rebuild. We're not in a mode where we're trying to, like, you know, do something completely differently. We think we can win now with Damian Lillard. I'm sorry, but did you not just trade three of your like three of your five uh, opening day starters? Like that does that does that make much sense to you for a team that like claims it's not in a rebuild here? Well, I think what it says is that they're done with this year, but next year they're going to come in aggressive and hot. Like in fact, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, our ESPN NBA insider, said this on NBA Today about the Blazers' strategy. They are not trying to rebuild, but they're trying to reshape this roster. You've seen what they've done now over the last few days with the trade with the Clippers, now the Pelicans, and there's more in Portland. And you see the emergence of Anthony Simons, the Sear Little this season, two young players that, you know, they're certainly going to build around there, but expect to see more veteran players, uh, and, and they hope some more impact players brought mm. in around Damon Lillard, and they can certainly look at an extension for Lillard in this offseason. Well, and that's going to be interesting. Courtney Cronin in for Sarah Spain on Spain and Fitz. I'm Jason Fitz. Interesting because they'll have cleared, according to Woj, about $60 million in salary cap space for this summer. But boy, this better be something that they have been talking the entire time to Dame about. Because if not, this is the moment where Dame looks around and says, nah, I'm good. Like, we've been waiting every year for the time that Dame's going to turn around and say, you know what? I want something more. This feels like if there's a breaking point in their relationship, if this hasn't been properly communicated, if it has, then this is only going to cement their time with Dame. Dame feels good about it. If it hasn't, then, man, this is the the straw that breaks the camel's back. Sure. I mean, they just gave up, like, a franchise icon, and they're apparently not rebuilding. Like, that doesn't make a whole ton of sense to me. Like, I understand from a luxury tax perspective why they had to deal Robert Covington and Norman Powell to the Clippers last week. They're trying to avoid that. It's a financial to salary cap type move, kind of similar to what we see in the NFL with cap casualties. That was the way that they avoided that happening. But when it comes to Lillard, he's going to be 32 in July. He's got to figure out, okay, if you were, if you guys want to get younger around me, how quickly can you make that happen and how quickly can that team be competitive? Because by the time a younger roster is ready to actually be competitive in the West when you're constantly going to be running into Golden State and the Lakers and, you know, the, the Suns and all these other teams that, you know, make your life really, really difficult in the months of April through June, are the Portland Trailblazers going to be like a six seed afterthought? Or are they going to actually be like a competitive team? And on top of that, are they going to want to commit the money it's going to take to extend Damian Lillard, knowing that his prime is likely going to be over when the younger players that they're apparently going to put around him, um, when they're like ready to be competitive. Like I think there's a lot that you have to weigh there. And for Damian Lillard, he spent his entire career with Portland. We've all been waiting for this moment when the Trailblazers start tearing parts of the roster down of, is he going to look around and say, I've done all I can do here. 
I have to like be self-aware enough to know that I'm pa- I'm getting towards the end of my prime. I need to go somewhere else where I'm in a situation where I can win a little bit more easily than me having to like drop 50 on in multiple playoff games on back-to-back nights. Yeah, I think when you talk about the youth movement too, like they're behind teams like Phoenix and Memphis on building through the youth movement. So it's like they're behind no matter how they want to look at things. And in the meantime, for the Pelicans, they get somebody that can come in and contribute right away for a team that started 1-12 and and has now played themselves into the playoff turn- play-in tournament spot and a team that's trying to show Zion, hey, we'll do whatever it takes to win. It's important to note that this is a big get. In fact, Richard Jefferson said this about CJ on ESPN NBA or NBA Today. CJ McCollum is a difference maker. He's averaging 18 to 20 points a game. Like he's going to give that to you on the perimeter. I I think when you look at the needs that they had, I think maybe someone that was a little bit more mature. He's a veteran guy that has played in the postseason. So I think that's who you want in your organization. And, And truth be told, when you have an opportunity to go get a player this good, you go get them mainly because New Orleans is not a huge free agent destination. So if you can get an 18-point-a-game, 22-point-a-game two-guard to add to that kind of veteran or that group of Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, you do that. And what you gave up, I don't think you gave up that much to get a player of his caliber. Now, I agree with everything he just said. It is important to note as we talk about all of the trades that are happening. I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier, that uh, we have no idea what the Nets and Sixers are going to do. That's what everybody has got their eyes on for the next 44 hours. And we've heard a lot from a lot of people about whether or not anything has happened. And this is what Brian Windhorst, our senior NBA writer, said today about NBA, on NBA Today about the trades and what's happening. No matter what you hear from the Nets, from the Sixers, from anybody else, the game is on. Mm. This negotiation is taking place. It may be a non-traditional negotiation. It may be back channels. It may be intermediaries. The Sixers and Nets are communicating with each other. That's important, uh, Courtney, because that, that speaks to what's happening behind the scenes right now. Yeah, and I mean, there, there's not much time left to make something happen, and it feels like both teams realize that their window is shutting very, very quickly. You don't want to waste great seasons for the other players you have on this roster in trying to maybe make some of these moves with a Simmons or maybe even a James Harden getting – I mean, he's got a hamstring injury tonight. Do we actually believe that that's a real injury, or do we think that he might be on the trading block and they're just trying to preserve him? Yeah, that's what's happening every single step of the way. We're trying to figure that out. Coming up, we'll figure out how to stop Aaron Donald from an expert. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app series, XM Channel 80. Courtney Cronin in for Sarah Spain. I'm Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm going to ask you guys on Twitter. We'll put it out there, at Spain and Fitz. At Jason Fitz, I'll put it out there for everybody. If you could crash any celebrity Super Bowl party, who's and why? It's a simple question. We're going to have a little fun. We're going to find out what celebrity you wish you could get your way into. We're going to put that on on the Twitter sphere. In the meantime, don't forget to tune in to the ESPN Daily Podcast. Get you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily. Available wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Always love talking to big guys. You know, maybe it's all the years I spent working with Mike Golick Jr., but big guys just break it down better. And we need help breaking all of these things down. So we now are joined by Ben Garland, 49ers offensive lineman. And thanks so much for hanging out with us. Like, I'll start with the most impossible question. Uh, From your standpoint, what advice would you give the Bengals in the Super Bowl for slowing down Aaron Donald? I think especially you got to shut him down in the pass rush. It's one of, he's one of the best pass rushers in the league and being able to get, 
multiple hands on him and multiple guy and get combination blocks and having the center slide towards him, I think is definitely going to help. Now, when you take a look at what the Rams do defensively, you guys have played them. You have institutional knowledge of Raheem Morris, the scheme, but it feels like he's kind of gotten in a mode this season where he's able to adjust a lot more based on the teams that, you know, they're the teams that the Rams play, you know, on a week to week basis. How did you notice that from like the first matchup earlier in November to the last game of the season? And then when you played him again a couple weeks ago? Yeah, I got to actually work with him as a coach whenever I was in Atlanta. Uh, unbelievable coach. He really has a great understanding of defense and how to work things and loved being able to play for him when I was there. But he, he does a great job. I mean, he's going to be able to – he has a lot of weapons too. I mean, you're talking between Vaughn and Ramsey and Donald. you got a, a lot of options in order to a lot of threats. And being able to mix that up and he, he understands how the offenses work and – being able to manipulate that in order to push it so it's the hardest thing that the offense can see. He's doing a great job of it. You mentioned a great job. I, I love the education, Ben. When you start talking about great offensive linemen, so many of us don't know what we're looking for, and you're mentioning great coaches. Like, What makes a great offensive line coach to you? I think it's one who has an understanding of how to develop the, the players and worked with a lot of great ones over the – time frame but the guys that are good on the sideline and understand how to make in-field adjustments without getting all over guys because they're going to know when they need they make mistakes you don't need to yell at a guy mid-game he knows he had a bad play but the, the really good coaches understand how to support them and just make sideline adjustments like what are you seeing out there what is the defense doing that we didn't anticipate and being able to adjust your calls maybe combination blocks or kind of what you're doing in general in that game plan in order to optimize your play Ben, you were in the Super Bowl two years ago, so you went through the whole week of prep and Super Bowl media night and the painstaking hours before you actually get to put the pads back on after a two-week break. What is this experience like for a player as you try to like get through every single day on the way to Sunday? Does it feel like you're fitting a whole year into a week? it's a lot and there's so many other aspects that are not like a normal week i mean you're trying to figure out the logistics of where your family's going to stay in hotels who's getting the super bowl tickets because you have very limited amounts you're getting way more media than you've ever seen in your life and it's just a completely different week of football and you have to be able to clear all that from your head and be able to focus develop the game plan and it's usually going to be a more in-depth game plan you got longer to prep and it's the most important game of the year but being able to slow that down and understand like there's a reason why you're in that game your team is good enough to play here and be here and just follow the game plan focus on what you can control and get after it we're talking to ben garland nfl offensive lineman on spain and fitz courtney cronin in for sarah spain i'm jason fitz uh you just mentioned all the difficulties of the week coming up does it help or hurt for a team like the rams to be at home for this game it absolutely helps i mean you're just in a place you understand you're comfortable there. You're able to work there. You're working in facilities you're used to. I think it's a huge advantage for a home team. I mean, it's so much bigger aspects of this game. So any advantage you can have where you're just more comfortable, less stuff you got to deal with, I think it's a big advantage. Ben, you went to a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo, and I know that you didn't get a chance to play with him this season, but you got a chance to watch his leadership near and from afar what makes him such a special leader and if he's not with the 49ers next season what are teams getting in this quarterback I, I love Jimmy and playing with him the two years before that he, he was something special and I, I think he's going to win no matter where he goes I'd be proud to play for him and uh, he's one of those guys that was not only truly cared about 
his guys and his offensive line, but the entire locker room. And the guy's a winner. You mentioned Wingman 63. Tell us about it. Yeah, so we developed this company over the off season, or over this season since I was out and injured. And we do content in any and many forms. So we're, we've been developing short-form videos, music. We're doing books, uh, videos. Uh, right now we're working on the Cal Hope campaign, which is a, a campaign showing all Californians the free mental health resources they have to them. And I think what's special about our company is that over a long career in the NFL, you get to know some of these guys and their backstories. And, I mean, we got to have Aziz on there. And Aziz is a star linebacker for the 49ers. And he's a guy where I think he's going to be a Pro Bowl player later on. And you wouldn't know that he grew up being homeless. But from playing with him, you can have him share that story. And we got to have him be a part of the campaign and kind of talk about the mental stuff that he went through and kind of break the stigma around it. And I think that's a much more powerful message a message that you really want to lean into and understand more, and it makes better content. We've only worked with great guys. I mean, we had Jay Glazer as one of our guys do the Cal Hope campaign, and he just came out with a book, Unbreakable. Absolutely an amazing book. Just finished reading it myself. And I think his message is extremely powerful when it comes out because he's able to speak on the subject. It's something he truly cares about. It's not just some algorithm finding people to fit certain campaigns or content, but it's relationships that we have these people that you can find someone who truly fits I think it's what really makes our company special. You got a chance to work with Mike McDaniel in two th- from the 2019 to 2020 season. He was a run game coordinator for the 49ers at that time uh, before becoming the offensive coordinator last season. What are the Dolphins now getting in their new head coach? I, I am so pumped. I had him in Atlanta as well, so I've, I've had quite a few years with him. and He's incredible. I mean, we used to call him Lids just because he's always wearing a hat at all times, but this guy is – an incredible mind like his understanding of football is far above that of a lot of people you meet and I'm really excited I'm hoping he brings a similar offense that Kyle Shanahan runs to Miami mostly just because I I play that style offense and I'm ready to roll this year so I'd be happy to go play for him down there but you're talking about what what an incredible coach you know I'm they're lucky to have him I think he's going to dominate down there and hopefully he's going to be in the league for a long time you mentioned getting yourself healthy, Ben. Like, what's been the key for you over the year to have away from the game to making sure that your body gets right? Yeah, just uh, taking taking a year off to get, get healthy. I mean, I think one of the most important things, especially for these NFL guys, is not only training hard but re- recovering hard. And that's what I've been really focusing on, getting my body right and getting ready for next season and kind of getting over this injury. Well, congratulations on Wingman 63. Sounds like it's an amazing endeavor, Ben. We appreciate you coming on and giving us your insight. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. We've got a ton of Super Bowl fun to get into, and we're going to do it with some prop bets. We're going to even let Chris Mitchell, our producer, get involved. This could get dangerous. We'll see where it goes next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM, Channel 80. Courtney Cronin in for Sarah Spain. I'm Jason Fitz. Courtney, we are taking, uh, we're living on the, the edge of chaos now because we're going to let Chris Mitchell, our producer, get involved in this. Are you, are, are you sure that we're ready for this? You know, I'm never ready for uh, anything chaotic when it comes to ESPN Radio, but I've just learned to kind of roll with the punches. So, <laughs> Chris, uh, welcome in. Yeah, so Chris, you're going to give us some prop bets, and we're going to have a little bit of fun, right? Is that, that that That's how we're doing this, right? You're, you're just going to throw us to the wolves. Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay. And it's not just going to be prop bets on the Super Bowl. It's going to be cross-sports style. So the first one, Courtney, you get the first one. Okay. What will be more, Cooper Cup receptions 
or LeBron James points on February 12th? Ooh, I mean, I picked Cooper Cup the other day as my Super Bowl MVP in our ESPN.com pick, so I think I'm going to have to go with his receptions. Gosh, do I want to put a number on this now, knowing what the uh, Cincinnati Bengals secondary looks like? As I'm like going through my mind, I'm going to put it at like eight, eight receptions. So, I mean, I don't really know how we quantify that with like LeBron James points because he's obviously going to score more than eight points, right? But I'm gonna if we're going like total receiving yards and all of that, I'm I'm going with Cooper Cup still. Fitz, which yeah, one are I, you going with? I mean, this is a a it's a weird prop, is it not? Yeah, it's 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 a bit of it's a bit of weird. It's a bit weird. I'm I'm a bit nervous about it. Um, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Cooper Cup receptions. Uh, just because I'm with you that he's gonna have a big game, and I feel like it's too weird of a prop to not be a, a, a trap. So that's really the reason I'm falling into it. All right. Matthew Stafford. Fitz, we'll go to you. Matthew Stafford okay. yards on his first completion or Russell Westbrook assists on February 12th? Uh, uh, no, no. I mean, a thousand percent. This is going to be yards on the first completion. In my mind, I have the Rams going deep the first time he throws the football just because, like, the, the Raiders fan loves that uh, traditionally in me. So, plus, like, I think you're going to test that secondary early and often, not just with Cooper, but also with Odell Beckham Jr. So, I just have this mindset of, like, first play that you're throwing the football, little play action, and you just, like, heave it down the field and you put it up there for OBJ to try and get it. So, I think it's completions. Courtney, what do you think? So, I actually might go with Russell Westbrook on this one. Um, they play the Warriors on the 12th, which is um, the date that I believe that's Super Bowl Sunday. Yes, that's one of the earlier games. So um, I will end up. Yeah, I, I think that he's going to he's had some pretty good games recently. So I'm actually going to say that his assist that his his um, assist on in that stat column is going to be that's going that's. That's what I'm going with. I can't even form a sentence right now. But um, Matthew, St- I like the thought of like a deep shot off play action for Matthew Stafford on the first play of the game. But I don't know if that's going to be the first first play. I mean, they're going to go. They're going to divert to that at some point during the game. But I, I'm going to go with Russell Westbrook just to be adversarial. Oh, I like this, uh, Mitchell. You better keep like record of this so we can figure out how wrong I was through all of it. Really, that's all what it comes down to. It's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin, and for Sarah Spain, I'm Jason Fitz. We're doing some cross sport prop betting. That's difficult for me to say, Mitchell. What you got next? I think these are absolutely interesting. That people sat in a room and they were like, you know what? Let's do this with this. <laughs> Sounds. I, I don't good. understand how they like coincide with each other. That doesn't make a whole ton of sense to me. But I'm all for the chaos. Yes. I think somebody just and also the February 12th is the day money. before the Super Bowl because only uh, two NBA teams, I believe it's the Celtics, they're playing on Sunday. They're the only team that thinks that like that's a good idea to be playing on Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> Anyways. Facts. Well, then let's use the Celtics here. I was going to do oh, another sorry. one. We're going here. Courtney, the total points in the first half between the Rams and Bengals or Jason Jason Tatum's points and rebounds on February 13th? I think it's going to be Jason Tatum. He's that entire team. So I think my sp- score that I picked for the Rams and the Bengals, I picked the Rams winning like 28 to 21. So I don't anticipate that being like a super high scoring first half for both teams. I mean, that's probably going to go down to the fourth quarter the same way that we saw both teams 
carry things out in their respective championship games. So I will go with the Tatum stat line um, being the higher of the two versus where the Bengals and the Rams are going to be after the first half. This one's interesting because I looked it up, and this this season Tatum's averaging 25.6 points a game and 8.5 rebounds. You uh, bought me some extra time, which I appreciate, which would be 34 uh, if my math is any good-ish. So we're talking about 34 combined points in the first half from the Rams and the Bengals. I think I will take the Rams and Bengals' first half points to be higher than 34. I'm going rebellious. All right, Fitz, this one's a good one. I, I like this one. Okay. Joe Burrow's yards on his longest completion – or Steph Curry's points, rebounds, and assists on February 12th? Well, I mean, his longest completion is going to be 77 yards. That's just my, my – I just don't know why that number popped in my head. So I will take uh, – I'll take the longest completion, 77. I can't wait till his first pass play is a Jamar Chase 77-yard touchdown. Oh, my I mean, God. If that happens, like, y'all, like, just send me thank you flowers for all of the money that people will make on that. You know, I'll take Burrow here, too. Uh, I looked up his longest completions that he's had throughout the seasons. In five of the last six games, he's had a completion of at least 44 yards. So to expect that, you know, what a a Steph Curry stat line, if you're putting it anywhere from, like, combined everything 70 to 80, I could see that happening. A deep shot to one of his very many weapons that he has between Jamar Chase, C.J. Uzoma, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, like, He's got a lot of different ways that he could make that happen. I'll go with Joe Burrow on that one. All right. Rams points, total points, or Trey Young's points on February 13th. Courtney. Um, I will go with Trey Young because I just gave you my score for the Rams, and I said that they're going to have 28 points, and I think that Trey Young's going to score more on the 13th. Okay, that's uh, that's – that's pretty logical. I mean, yeah, I do like that. Uh, right now, Trey Young averaging 28. I think that the Rams are in the 30s when this game is done. So I will take the Rams, but that is a good prop bet. Like, these were all difficult, which tells you why they always make money in uh, betting. Go ahead. All right. So this one I'm going to give you some extra numbers for, okay? Cooper okay. Cup receiving yards or the Celtics total points on February 13th. I'm going to give you seven and a half to add to Cooper Cup. So before this even starts, you have seven and a half yards already for Cooper Cup. So would you take that or Chokes the Celtics? You, dude. I like. I would have taken Cooper points. Cup. I would have taken Cooper straight up. Like that's that's a joke's on you. Like Cooper's going to have a huge game. How do you like that? I, I'm I'm all in for that. Cooper got more yards than the Celtics score points. Courtney, have I lost my mind? No, I would go with that too. I mean, he's had a like. Think about the way what his stat line has looked like the last couple games against the 49ers, specifically before that against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and then in the wild card round. I mean, he has been their offense. Like, there's a reason that you know the the prop the the bets that are out there right now, the odds that are on him to be the Super Bowl MVP are as high as they are. Like he is the most critical X factor for this team and why they are as explosive as they are. I think that that's kind of a no brainer to be quite honest. And that's no disrespect to like the Boston Celtics and you know, the game that they have this Sunday against the Atlanta Hawks. I just think that Cooper cup is that terrific. I mean, there's a reason he was an MVP candidate in the regular season for an award that was never won by a wide receiver. Like I really, really think that that one almost is a slam dunk. All right. Well, we're going to go even more here. Would you like to take Jamar Chase total receiving yards or the Lakers total points 
on February 12th. Uh, see, this is where, because I think this is going to be an explosive game, this becomes difficult. But, I mean, I can't see how the Bengals don't get a ton of yards from Jamar Chase. Like, I think win or lose, this is going to be one of those storyline-making games uh, that, that we're going to suddenly see Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow. Not that that hasn't already happened over the course of the last uh, several weeks, but I think they get seen in an even different light. So, I think Jamar Chase is going to go off. And if he's going to go off, then... I've got to think that he's in the hundreds when it comes to, you know, in 100 and 115, 125. Like, that's not hard for me to see from him mm-hmm. uh, points. So, I, I think it's got to be Jamar. Yeah, look at what he did against the Raiders. Nine catches, 116 yards in the wild to? card round. Five catches, 109 yards against Tennessee in the divisional playoffs. You know, against Kansas City, it almost felt like, hey, they actually figured it out because of like the last time that those two teams had played in the 2021 regular season when he had three touchdowns and uh, just absolutely annihilated that secondary. I'll be curious because remember Jalen Ramsey today was talking about that's my guy. I want Jamar Chase. I want to shadow him the entire game. Like, will they let them do that? They do tend to play a lot of zone, and um, they're really successful with it, with their secondary specifically in the way that they cover receivers. But if you put a Jalen Ramsey, like fulfill his wishes of letting him be on Jamar Chase the entire game, does that reflect more of like a Kansas City Jamar Chase stat line or Tennessee and Vegas? So I'll end up taking Jamar Chase in this because I'm with you, Fitz. I think this is going to be a game where he goes off and we see 100-plus receiving yards for him. But if they, if it's really all going to depend on the way that they defend him and if they do let Jalen Ramsey do what he wants to do. Yeah, that's that's going to be the interesting. Mitchell, how did we do? What, what What's the verdict? Did we do well on these prop bets? I, honestly, these prop bets are so close that they could go either way. They're I think hard. you guys did very good. The only thing that really upset me is Courtney. Her score was 28-21, which means I don't get to see any Evan McPherson except for on extra points, and I really want to see him come out on the field. So oh, I will God. probably be wrong on this because I'm wrong on a lot of things. So there you go. <laughs> Oh, that's ref- you know what? Uh, it, welcome to the club, Courtney. That's uh, what that's I try awareness. and do all the time. I mean, that, that that's what happens. All right. In the meantime, we're going to get back to all the Super Bowl coverage you need, including talking to one of the NFL's best players and people next on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. We continue to inch closer and closer to the Super Bowl. The question is, one of the biggest matchups we'll see It's going to involve Aaron Donald and how the Bengals try and minimize his impact. How can they? Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We'll get some expertise on this. Save when you bundle auto, home, or motorcycle insurance. Visit Progressive.com. We're joined now by Kelvin Beecham uh, from the Cardinals offensive lineman. And Kelvin, this is the question I keep asking every offensive lineman. We'll get to why you're the most interesting man in the world in just a second. But before we do that... How do you stop? Like, what advice would you give the Bengals today on how to slow down Aaron Donald? Get the ball out. <laughs> that's the fastest way, and that's the easiest way to get it done. Get the ball out. Um, you know, anytime you get the ball out fast, a fresh first defensive lineman that, you know, that doesn't let them get into a rhythm and you move the pocket, um, you know, that, again, takes away the, the rhythm that, that they have and, you know, for somebody like Joe Burrow, who's not – I'm not saying he's not an agile quarterback, but you know where he's going to be at, that plays into the hand of a defensive line because they know exactly what point to get to. So the advice that I would give is get the ball out. You know, as the Cardinals, we play them three times. When we play well, 
and won, we got the ball out. We didn't. We're back there dropping back, and it wasn't the type of game that you uh, you desire as an offensive lineman. They're a division opponent of yours. You're right. You played them three times uh, this season alone, most recently in the wild card round. So I think it's probably fair to say that the Cardinals know the Rams just as well as anybody else, including the team that they're going to play this weekend in the Cincinnati Bengals. What, you know, what's the one thing that doesn't just jump out on paper? That's the most obvious thing about this team, this Rams team that maybe you can relay to the audience. Uh, I mean, they are what, what what you see. It's not like there's a secret or there is some magical way in which they're winning games. You know, that defense is playing lights out. They do a phenomenal job with their front seven. Um, I wouldn't say that their linebacking core is extremely strong. I would say that that's the, the weak part of the defense. And I'm talking about, you know, their inside linebackers, not the outside linebackers. But the inside linebackers are, I would feel, the weak point of the team. But when you got people up front, those, you know, front five, front four that are dominating the game, and you got, you know, Jalen Ramsey on the back end, you know, you're able to really do some things as a defense that it puts opponents in a, in a difficult position. But there is no uh, secret behind their success uh, that you wouldn't see just looking at them on TV, honestly. Talking to Kelvin Beecham of the Cardinals, and we'll get back to the football stuff. I, I want to give you some props for a second. Uh, you're nominated for the Walter Payton Man of the Year for the league, uh, and a little birdie told me you don't like bragging about yourself. So I'm going to brag on you for a second. Personally donated $2.2 million to charitable causes throughout your NFL career. Matching contributions and support, you've provided 2.3 million meals domestically. I mean, the resume of what you've done for the community is incredible. So talk a little bit about how you decide where you want to put the emphasis when you make charitable charitable donations. You know, it always starts at home. You know, how do I impact my home, how do my head Texas? From there it goes to where did I go to college? I went to college in Dallas. So what am I going to continue to do in Dallas? And then from there it goes to the cities that I've played in. I've played in Pittsburgh. I've played in Jacksonville, played in New York. Uh, I'm now here in Arizona. So, you know, the, the, the level of support and, and philanthropy in each one of those locations has increased as I've went to other locations. But to me, the most important thing um, is being able to serve the communities where I'm spending time at, um, no matter how short it is, which is how it was in Jacksonville, or no matter how long it was, you know, and that's been my hometown and then, and then you know, there in, in, uh, in Dallas. About a month ago, you donated 40 Microsoft plus uh, Microsoft tablets to a middle school out in Arizona, CO Greenfield School. What was the motivation behind providing technology to these students? Yeah, the thing is, is I've always been super focused on, on science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. Um, and to be able to continue to support young people um, as they're going on this journey of being a part of the global economy, I want to support that. And, and one of those ways is to be able to do it with laptops. Uh, we all know that uh, the digital divide or, you know, people who have access to the Internet, people who have access to tablets, technology, Wi-Fi, hotspots, et cetera, those things were exacerbated during uh, the pandemic. So to be able to, to help schools who don't have the same resources uh, as some of the schools up north in Scottsdale and things of that nature, this was an opportunity for me to be able to serve that community. Um, and serve that school and, and looking forward to going back in, in mid-April to check in and see how those young people are, are, are using those laptops and, and, and using uh, the products that, that uh, we were able to provide that day. 
Man, it just gives me goosebumps hearing you talk about it, Kelvin. And, and before we go any further, I just want to say thanks. Like, you're using your platform for such good, and it's incredible. I wish we covered this more across the NFL. You're also a massive art collector. Now, I'll be the first to admit, I'm the resident music guy at ESPN. I don't know anything about art. I can't even figure out what's good or what's bad. So when you first started getting into art, what was it that really, like, drew you to it, and how did you decide what you liked? Man, I, I have to literally deflect, and this is my wife. My wife has a much, much better eye than I do. She went to way more museums than I did, and most of the work, especially some of the best works that we have in our collection, are works that she's picked out. So I'm going to make sure that that's said first and foremost. Um, but I would say as we've continued to grow, it's been a learning process. You know, you talk about uh, music. You know, blues is a, is a huge theme that, that runs in and throughout, um, in and throughout you know, the arts. Um, and to be able to, to learn about how music is entwined, how history uh, is intertwined, um, you know, how some of these untold stories are intertwined. Like, I've learned more about World War II uh, and some of the things that happened after World War II from art than I did out of a textbook. On February 17th, you and your wife, Jessica, are going to be kicking off your first show. You've got 10 pieces from your collection that are going to be at your alma mater at SMU. I was wondering if you could like tell us, you know, what's the theme of the collection? Um, how did you curate all of these pieces specifically into this exhibit? Yeah, so we wanted to do something at the alma mater. Uh, and what we did was we reached out to one of the top curators in Dallas, happened to be an African-American woman down in uh, Dallas, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Valerie. And, um, you know, got to spend time with her, got to tell her about our vision there. Um, and she actually sat down with us and we kind of curated the show together. What were pieces that we wanted to see and what were pieces that we felt would be the strongest uh, for being represented in Dallas. And, um, you know, SMU hasn't historically allowed African-American art on campus, so excited to, to be able to present this body of work. And it's going to be there until uh, this class of students graduate. Kelvin, what would it mean to win the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award for you? Uh, it would mean that um, everything that my parents taught me, everything that I learned from my head Texas has come, has come true. Uh, to be able to serve others, to be able to support other communities, um, and just to be a positive light. Walk in integrity, live in integrity, and try to serve in integrity. Incredible stuff. Uh, we got to ask you, before we let you get out of here, all the good that we've talked about, I mean, everybody's talking about Kyler and the Instagram and the unfollowing. Like, you want to break any scoops to us? You know anything, Calvin? Anything you want to reveal? Man, you know, this it's a new generation of athletes, man. I didn't, I didn't realize it was that big of a deal when, when somebody <laughs> does something on, uh, on IG. But, you know, uh, it is what it is. You know, the season is, I don't know, how many months away. Uh, you know, when football matters, then, then I take it into consideration. To be honest with you, I hadn't really paid too much attention to it. Love everything about that answer, man. Hey, I said it before, I'll say it again. You're doing great things for the community, and it's really incredible to talk to you. Anytime you ever want to come on to talk about what you're up to, we would always love to have you. Thanks for joining us, and congratulations on all your success. Yes, sir, anytime. Thank you much. Courtney, can we just acknowledge to the ways, like, when football matters, I'll worry about who's following who. Like, it's a reminder of how much we obsess over stuff that players don't give a damn about. Yeah, and I mean, you take a look around the NFL at all of the Walter Payton Man of the Year nominees, and like they all do such tremendous stuff that like puts the rest of us to shame. But it's those stories, like this week alone, because of Radio Row and because of the exposure that these athletes just don't get in season because like they're busy focused on winning games. Um, there are a lot of cool stories like this, the human interest side of football that come out this week, and I think that you know the work that that he's doing in you know, with, with STEM and, and making sure like all of the cities where he's played 
have some sort of he leaves some sort of lasting impact and legacy like that to me is really cool yeah the more we can focus on some of these big stories the more people will find out that it's easy to talk about the negative there's a lot of positive happening from great players and great people that are involved in the nfl coming up the coaching carousel now full the question is Who's going to be kicked off at first here? We'll break it all down for you. You're listening to Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. So as we watch the Super Bowl, there are two teams, obviously, that everybody's going to care about with the Bengals and the Rams. But every other fan base is watching to hope that their team can do what the Bengals have done. Gone from seemingly irrelevant and incapable over the span of two years to suddenly finding themselves in the Super Bowl. The question is, now that we've seen the hiring cycles uh, completed, who's in the best situation to do that? Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin in for Sarah Spain. I'm Jason Fitz, presented by per, uh, Progressive Insurance. Run the ESPN app, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 80. And Courtney... I think it's interesting because for anyone that doesn't know, you cover the Vikings, right? So there is a rooting interest for Vikings fans to watch the Super Bowl as well as it appears that their next head coach will be on the sidelines. Yeah, Kevin O'Connell is expected, unless something goes completely haywire, he's going to be the next coach of the Minnesota Vikings. They obviously can't make anything official until after the Super Bowl, but you know we'll know Monday or Tuesday of next week when he's going to be in Minnesota for his introductory press conference and the team will announce that he is the next head coach. Yeah, well, and with that being said, I think when you start watching the Super Bowl, uh, you can now look at that and say that it's a reason for people to get excited, right? And that's what everybody feels right now is excitement. Fan bases have said this ad nauseum, like if you can't be excited about your coach today, you're done because like it's not going to get easier or better for most fan bases. So you got to have that level of excitement. I feel it as a Raiders fan. Do I wish they had kept Rich Passaccia? Yes. Do I understand why they didn't? Yes. So now I got no choice but to think that everything's going to be just perfect and loving and glowy, uh, glowing, I should say, uh, with Josh McDaniels as the head coach. So, you know, I think every fan base looking across the board has to find positivity. That's a little more difficult to do, though, frankly, when it comes to the Texans who seem to have come up with Lovey Smith as their head coach in a way that has a lot of people wondering if it's just the same thing as they went through last year with Cully. Like, it feels like they went through this long, arduous process to come back to somebody that was already in the building in a way that feels strange and makes you wonder what they're really building towards, right? It's so weird because they interviewed him for the first time like a month ago. When the season had ended, they had fired David Culley, you know, a couple days into that first week out. And then they made the second interview like the other day, like 48 hours ago. And they're like, oh, wait, we're going to hire Lovey Smith. He was our guy all along. Like it felt really fishy. And I know that Nick Casario talked about the Flores lawsuit um, because that's a big question that had to be asked of like, how did that thing coming out? Because Brian Flores was a candidate for Houston. How did that affect the hiring process? Like, you know, there there were so many ties to Josh McCown becoming the next head coach of the Houston Texans that you're never going to get a straight answer from anybody speaking publicly about this. But if you're well-sourced in the NFL and have had the conversation, specifically the ones that I have had, all signs were pointing towards Josh McCown becoming the next head coach of the Houston Texans. Now, the backlash that this team would have faced in doing that 
would have been catastrophic. It would have proven every single point that Brian Flores was trying to make and is trying to make through this through this class action lawsuit. And I honestly think that the Texans had to scramble here late. It's why they were the ninth team of, of the last team of all NFL teams that had openings to have to fill this. And, and they went down to the 11th hour in doing so. And, you know, I think that Lovey Smith is a good coach. I know that, you know, we've seen what happened at Illinois. We've seen what happened with the Chicago Bears, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he's gotten multiple chances to get this right, like a third time for him as a head coach. Um, just honestly is not all that common with African-American head coaches. And, and from that alone, I'm happy that he's getting the opportunity. But is this truly the best hire for the Houston Texans? Like, they ca- they cast such a weird net at the beginning of this thing. And just the way that this whole thing played out with Smith was a candidate, and then it felt like he wasn't. And, oh, oh wait, he actually is going to be the guy who we're hiring because we're not hiring Josh McCown. Feels a little shady. It's made and fits. Uh, sorry, I was trying to swallow my spit and uh, not cough in the mic all at once there. It's just uh, peel behind the curtains here. Curtin and Cronin in for Sarah Spain. I'm Jason Fitz. Uh, Nick Casario, the Houston Texans general manager, to the point that you were making, said this about how the Flores lawsuit affected their decision. Didn't affect us at all, I would say. Just speaking specific to Brian. So, you know, I've known Brian a long time, you know, personally and professionally. I have a lot of respect for Brian as a coach and a person. You know, he was a part of this process. He was a, he's been a good coach in this league for a number of years. You know, part of my responsibility was to spend time with as many quality candidates as possible. I mean, again, okay. I'm not sure what else he can say, right, Courtney? Yeah, like, exactly. it's not like he could – with a lawsuit out there, he can't be like, well, heck yeah, once we figured out that was going on, we are like, oh, can't hire McCown now. Yeah, or can't hire Brian Flores now. I mean, right. the Saints, too, in, in the Dennis Allen hire yesterday, you know, that same question – was popping up everywhere. Like, how did that affect the Saints head coaching search, which, you know, was a lot more seamless of a process just because it felt like they already had their in-house candidates. I know Darren Rizzi also was a candidate for that job and interviewed, but um, I don't really know what anybody is supposed to say publicly. Like, behind the scenes, you're going to get a lot of different answers from people who are in the hiring process. I mean, the Minnesota Vikings, the team that I cover, that question about Flores is a very legit one because that lawsuit came out the day that they were interviewing Patrick Graham last week, and then the Jim Harbaugh stuff popped off on Wednesday. And you have to look at it, and you have to ask it, uh, you know, f- just be very forthcoming about it to be like, okay, how did this affect things? And any team that tells you, oh, the Flores lawsuit did not affect anything is probably bluffing because there are a lot of teams looking around their process, whether you're hiring a Caucasian coach or whether you were hiring an African-American coach and knowing, okay, we already had these people in mind for the job, like the Houston Texans and Josh McCown. Oh, wait, we have to actually pivot course to make it look like all of our other other interviews, no matter who the candidates are, weren't these quote-unquote sham interviews that Brian Flores was alleging happened uh, with the Giants and with the Denver Broncos um, in years past when he was interviewing for jobs. So, I mean, it's... It's a tough question that I don't know how people are going to answer publicly because you, if you were really to tell the truth, you'd probably put yourself in a lot of uh, cross, you know, a lot of crossfire there just throughout the league, and uh, probably open an investigation into your own hiring practices, which no team wants to be a part of that, considering what we've seen right now with the with the Miami Dolphins and you know, kind of where they're at in this lawsuit, and on top of the Broncos and the Giants. Well, and and when you talk about this entire process, I think there's a real question about the Texans and the way they go about doing business, which leads to the question of for Lovey Smith, getting this opportunity, as you pointed out, is so rare to get another chance. The question is, did he have any hesitance when it came to taking this job? This is what he said when he was asked that at the press conference. 
No hesitation at all. There are, you know, there are 32 of these jobs. If we talk about the opportunity, every time I've gotten a job, it's been a situation. First off, you don't get jobs unless uh, maybe there's some things that need to be improved upon, and you're just looking for an opportunity. Once you get that opportunity, is what you do with it. Not often you get a chance to lead three professional football teams. I don't know if there's a guy that looks like me that's had an opportunity to do that. So that's pretty special. Uh, and, and he's not wrong, Courtney, as no. you mentioned, and as he alluded to, it's incredibly special. It's incredibly hard to do. It's, to me, makes it even more curious. In my mind, I understand what he's saying. There's only 32 of these jobs, but, man, you ain't getting another chance. Like, this, this is it. So, a little surprising. I, I think it speaks to the fact that he knew another chance wasn't coming to take this one at all. Yeah, and, I mean, for, for Lovey Smith, too, this is not his first opportunity to lead an NFL franchise. Like he said, this is his, his third, which is rare in its own right uh, for people who look like him. That's just that's a fact of the matter, and I get it. Like David Culley, when he took that job, he had to take that job because of his age and because where he's at in his career, that was his only chance, unfortunately. Lovey Smith, on the other hand, has gotten multiple opportunities. Now, do I feel like the Texans' opportunity is going to be the best one he's going to all of a sudden take this team to a Super Bowl? No, not really, but I get why he ended up taking this job 100%. Yeah, and, and we hear it all the time. There's only 32 of them. I think that's an important thing everybody remembers. It is an honor for anybody that gets the chance to stand on the sideline and it's something that the coaches take incredibly seriously. Hopefully, Lovey has tremendous success. Coming up, someone that knows L.A. better than most will join us. We'll get an NFL player's perspective on all things Super Bowl next. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm Jason Fitz, hanging out with Courtney Cronin, who's in for Sarah Spain. Courtney, we've asked the people on Twitter, and we'll, we'll get to talking about it a little bit more in a few minutes. Uh, is there, like, a celebrity you wish you could crash their Super Bowl party? Is there somebody that, like, sticks out in your mind that you're thinking, like, that's the person I want to hang out with? You know, my head always goes to P. Diddy and the white party, right? Okay. And I know that that's not necessarily specific to the Super Bowl, but I've never been to a white party before where everybody dresses in all white and drinks Ciroc. So, like, if I could get invited to something like that, sign me up. Yeah, I don't know see, if it's a Super Bowl-specific thing, though. Like, and I, Gosh, I hate admitting this, but when the Super Bowl was in Minnesota, where I reside in 2018, I was so busy working that week that I never really went out and got to experience the Super Bowl party life. It was complete amateur hour on my part. Uh, uh, how many friends, let's be honest here, you don't have to throw any of them under the bus by name unless you choose to. How many friends hit you up when it was in Minnesota to see if you could get tickets? Oh, I mean... Many, and but, but it was mostly like, hey, can you get us into this event? Like, did you get an invite for this? Like, do you mind having me as your guest? And I was kind of like, yeah, go for it. Go to the Migos concert at the uh, at the Armory. I can't go because I'm covering whether Teddy Bridgewater's contract is going to toll because, remember, the team that I covered, Minnesota Vikings, had just stopped playing the week before in the NFC Championship, and then oh, wow. the, the game's here on their, on their home turf. So I felt like I was covering more Viking stuff that Super Bowl and helping out with, like, I was on Eagles coverage. So I just – I never really got to take full advantage of it. I'm kind of bummed about that. I, I will – you mentioned a white party, and I will throw myself under the bus. I remember years ago I was getting ready to leave the house. I had coffee in my hand, 
and I was wearing a white shirt. And uh, they were like, are you sure you want to leave the house with a white shirt on? And I said, I am a grown man. I can leave in a white shirt. And as I said that, the door gently tapped my hind quarters, which then <laughs> caused the coffee to just spurt out a little bit and go all over my chest. So, like, the idea of a white party for me is the worst. I would end up being, like, a, an uncoordinated version of Chris Farley in the middle of it, and I'd have red wine all over everybody. Like, that That would happen to me inevitably. Uh, I, I'm still going to go with... Uh, some sort of uh, I, I'm gonna go with some sort of a chef for my Super Bowl party. Like I'm thinking like Guy Fieri or something like that. Like sure. I want somebody that's gonna feel obligated to provide amazing food, even if they don't cook it. They're going to feel obligated to provide it, right? So that that is gonna make sure that I eat like a fat guy for the entirety. Uh, of the game that 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 would be my goal uh spade and fitz courtney cronin uh, jason fitz uh it well, i want to go back to something we were talking about a minute ago which was lovey smith and uh you know the process that leads to where they are and it's interesting because courtney when you look across the board it feels like every time somebody interviews we're asking ourselves the process and how it worked and whether or not you know they they satisfied the rooney rule and all of these questions that have become part of the the cultural lexicon whenever we have a conversation about coaches but at some point that also has to be processed and just put away right and I think it's important to note that Lovey Smith did address the process not sure what he's sure about but the fact that he's ready to lead it's important that he said this at the press conference I realize the amount of black head coaches there are in the National Football League it's Mike Tomlin and I think there's me I don't know of many more um, so there's a problem I mean this obvious for us I know one person that wanted to do something about it it's just not about the color of your skin or who you want leading a program but Cal and Hannah of course they said this is what I, there's, maybe there's a problem or not maybe there's a problem there's a problem this is what we're gonna do for it. I, I mean it's... I don't really know what he was getting at there like, yeah, there's a problem. This is what we're doing about it. Like, was that his way of saying because of the discrepancy of non of not having a lot of African-American coaches in the NFL? Like, that's the reason that they hired him? Was that what that's, he was getting at? That's what it comes across like. I, I think Lovey might uh, want to have that entire moment back as a quote because it feels like that that that's just a difficult part of this also. Like, that, that's, that's what makes this entire situation so hard because realistically – Coaches shouldn't have to answer for these things. Like coaches should be hired and fired for the work that they do, and it should be that simple. But it oftentimes isn't that simple. And as Mina pointed out last week on NFL Live, you know, how often has she sat back and said, like, it should go to the most qualified person. But then you got to realize that so often it's not happening. The problem is now all of a sudden every time somebody does get hired, these questions are part of it. And I'm not sure that every coach is prepared to answer all of the questions or should be prepared to answer. Like, I can't speak for every person that looks like me I can't speak for every person that has the background that I have and unfortunately that becomes part of what we ask many coaches to do yeah and I think that is it unfair that Lovey Smith has to like speak for all of the African-American coaches that did not get hired this cycle no not at all and we're going to continue to talk about the Brian Flores lawsuit and what the fallout of that is we're going to talk about why Eric Bieniemy never really felt like a serious candidate for any job including the Saints one that his name kind of came on late I don't actually know if he really interviewed for that I know it was it, he was expected to but he's sitting home right now out of the cycle yet again like so it's something that is going to constantly come up and fair or unfair these coaches uh who look like lovey smith who look like mike tomlin the only two african-american head coaches currently in the nfl they're going to have to answer for that and you know 
I'm sure that's exhausting after a while because it's like, well, why are we being put in that situation? We, you know, would be like Mike Tomlin and Lovey Smith having to answer those things. But when we talk about like trying to change the process, which he kind of alluded to, kind of didn't really allude to in that quote of how these hires are, are being, you know, made. It goes back to what Brian Flores said when he did his interview on Get Up last Wednesday that the hiring process and the ownership is really where this whole thing starts. Like it starts with getting owners that look more like a Brian Flores than than something else. And and that's where it, that's where the change has to be affected because you won't have the trickle down effect to where it's affecting who's getting hired in these spots until ownership changes, which I think is just so it's almost like exhausting to even think about like how you get that to change because you have billionaires in these in these jobs owning these teams and you know it's not really easy to like expect that like all of a sudden like the people currently owning NFL teams are going to all of a sudden change and give up their billion dollar entities that's just not realistic yeah i mean that that's always one of the things you know i used to say when i was trying to get a gig as a fiddle player i'd always say you know you can't force a band to need a fiddle you can just only hope that when they do you're on their mind. Like there is some truth to like it's not like these franchises come open uh, often, so it becomes difficult to uh, to break it down. We we're gonna head over now. Uh, Michael Brocker's joining us on the show. Spain and Fitz, uh, Courtney Cronin in for Sarah Spain. I'm Jason Fitz. Uh, we appreciate your time, Lions uh, defensive lineman. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. You guys played the Bengals and the Rams this year, so easy question, hard answer. Which team's better? Oh uh, man, thanks for having me on. By the way. Um, Man, it I, I really uh, – I can't – I don't know, man. Both of them are really good. Let's just say both of them are really good in their own ways. Um, the Rams are good at, you know, beating you downfield, getting the deep balls, you know, stuff like that. And, and Cincinnati's just good at, you know, just physically, you know, kind of pounding on you, you know, running the ball, running play action. And then they have that, that trio of wide receivers. And, uh, man, it just makes it a long day. Now, you spent your 2021 season with the Detroit Lions. Um, you know, you had a pretty – it was a pretty strange year, just all things considered, for the way that this team is constructed, you know, new quarterback that you're familiar with from your time in Los Angeles. But I guess as you look back now, a couple weeks removed from the end of the season, how do you sum up your first year with Detroit? Um, I mean, it was a, it was a humbling experience. Humbling experiences is, is the you know best words for it. Just because um, nobody likes losing, nobody you know wants to lose. But when you uh, look at each loss as if uh, we learned a lesson from it, and you know each one of our young guys who um, who we had to put in because of you know injuries or you know COVID um, protocol reasons. Um, each one of those guys learned a lesson this season. Each one um, got better from, from those losses. So um, the biggest thing for us was to get better. We we knew early on nobody wants to lose, but we knew early on it was going to be a struggle just with us being, you know, having a new coach, new regime, you know, um, young team. We, we knew it, it, it was going to be, you know, a little struggle at first. But uh, for us, you know, coming out of this season, understanding that, you know, uh, we we learned a lot of lessons throughout this season, and a lot of our young guys got experience that they uh, wouldn't have had if we didn't go through a season like that. We're talking to Michael Brockers, Lions defensive lineman, and, you know, you mentioned some of the young uh, pieces there and new pieces there. Dan Campbell, the coach, uh, a lot of people got uh, had a lot of opinions based on his opening press conference, and, and we were all trying to get to know him also. Now that you spent a year with Coach, what is it about him that maybe the rest of us don't know? Um, just, you know, I, obviously everybody knows he's, he's a, he's a wonderful guy. 
Um, he has his sayings, and um, but you know, in that same you know respect, man, people will run through a wall for him just because he's that that down to earth. He's that that coach that you really want to play for, um, just because he has that understanding of being an NFL player, understanding our grind, and understanding uh, what we go to men- mentally on and off the field. And he he can he can meet us where we are as players, and I think that's what we love about him. He understands that, you know, uh, there is a system of a routine of taking care of your body and getting the work that you need throughout the week. So um, finding that balance and, you know, um, he did he did the best he could. And a lot of guys understood that coming from uh, the regime that they came from previously, um, you know, a, guy, a lot of guys love, love the aspect of uh, how coach came about um, when, when he, you know, when, when he got to the team. So, um, with that, you know, you have a lot of guys buying into the system. You spent your first nine seasons of your NFL career with the Rams, whether it was in St. Louis or then Los Angeles. Does a week mm-hmm. like this, when you see your former team playing for a Super Bowl, like, do you have a vested rooting interest in the Rams because of that, even though you're now playing on a different squad? Uh, I, I do. I mean, and, and it's more just, you know, love and respect for the guys in, in that locker room, man. When you got, you know, you know Aaron Donald, uh, Andrew Whitworth, you know, seeing those guys, um, you know, grind and, and, and try to make it to that pinnacle. We, and we did it in 2018, but didn't finish like we wanted. And, and just seeing them continue to, that continue to eat at them and they want to get back to that game and seeing them finally um, get that opportunity, man. I'm just happy for them. I really am. I, I'm happy for them. I really want them to win. Um, as you said, I am kind of vested in the, into them because that's, that's my guys, man. That's my guys. Um, so, you know, I definitely want to see them uh, get that ring that they deserve. Man, we really appreciate your time and your insight on this one. Enjoy watching the game. Best of luck as you continue your career with the Lions. going to be fun to watch and keep kicking butt, man. Thank you so much for joining us, Michael. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, guys. That's Michael Brockers, Lions defensive lineman on Spain and Fitz. All right, coming up next, the one matchup in the Super Bowl that could change everything and the one celebrity you wish you were partying with. We'll do it all next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Courtney Cronin in for Sarah Spain. I'm Jason Fitz. We'll get to the one matchup that I think could be the most important in the Super Bowl in a second. But we've been asking you guys, what's the one famous person you want to hang out with? Like the one celebrity party you want to crash uh, for the Super Bowl? And Courtney gave a very smart answer of the uh, Diddy uh, white pa- all-white party. I think that's a... Uh, I'm not cool enough for that. I'm the first to admit it. I I keep thinking, I was going back and forth, Courtney, and the more I think about this, like part of me also thinks maybe hanging out with a bunch of musicians would be cool because like if, you know, like there'd be like this random jam session, but then I also realized they wouldn't be that into the game because like a lot of my music friends just aren't that into it. So like I'm, I'm thinking more if I go celebrity chef, that's a cool way to go or like you know, a supermodel party. I feel like if there's supermodels, like there's just going to be cool and pretty people at the party. And then I can just stand back in the corner and feel like I'm awesome. Yeah. I, those are, those are very cliche. Good answers though. Thank like you. those Thank are you. like ones that I would expect to hear from people like musicians. Cool. Like music. Awesome. Supermodels, pretty people, like all those things. I need like, the more I think about it, like, I need to go to an exotic party. Like, 
just something that just doesn't happen all that often, like a Star Wars theme Super Bowl party. And I don't know why I'm thinking Star Wars. It's just the first thing at the top of my head where everybody goes dressed up as a character to this like insane bash in Los Angeles. Like I think of movies, I think of Hollywood, and I think of all the things that will like combine to make a great Super Bowl party. You've got to capitalize on the culture that's out there, which is arts and entertainment and movies, right? Like we're not that far off from the Oscars. They could just basically like move that up. And okay. go ahead and like you know make a movie themed Super Bowl party. Let me be very clear. You had me at theme party, and if there's a reason for me to dress up like Chewbacca while I watch the Super Bowl, I'm gonna take that every time, like every single time, unless the Raiders are in the Super Bowl, in which case I should not be masked. But it, other than that, like I'm all in on like Chewbacca. I, I in fact, years ago when uh, we were working a lot with our buddy Ryan Hollins. Uh, I had suggested that they send the two of us to Comic-Con with me wearing a Chewbacca outfit uh, and have him in a Han Solo outfit, just to confuse everybody why the seven-foot person is the uh, is is the Han Solo in the characters. Uh, Spade and Fitz, I don't know where I'm going with this, uh, but we've asked you guys to chime in on that, by the way, and, and I haven't gotten a lot of answers that are more creative than ours, honestly. I mean, I've gotten, though, uh, Andrea said, I think a Wolfgang Puck uh, had a party. The food and snacks alone would be worth it. Uh, yeah, I'm with you good. on, like, the food. Like, they need to have... Like, a Super Bowl party, like, I'm, I, I'm going for the food and the beverage. Like, I want to be blown away by the presentation. So, like, Wolfgang Puck, any of the chefs that we see on TV, if they're having a party, that's where I want to go. Yeah, well, and a couple of people saying they want to hang out with, like, uh, Hank Williams Jr., Kid Rock. Like, that's that's way partying past my, my, my pace. I can't handle that. Like, there's no way I could actually... Uh, stay together through that so you know uh, you got to know your limits too when you walk in the room know that you got to be able to hang out with the people that are there so you know that 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 is two party for me uh in the meantime there's an actual Super Bowl to discuss and there is one matchup that I think everybody has their eyes on which is Jalen Ramsey against Jamar Chase and it's it's funny to me because Jalen Ramsey is certainly never lacking in con- in confidence and reminded us all today at the press conference that he's consistently amazing I've been the best in the game for, for years now, con- con- consistently showing greatness week in and week out. So uh, it's it's another work day at the office for me on Sunday. I know they have talented receiver group, but I know I'm going to be ready. I don't really think about what anybody says about what I should do or, or how I should play. I've consistently been great over the years, so I've shown that I'm, I will show up um, when I need to show up. And uh, that's what I plan to do again on Sunday. Well, you know, I I love the confidence on it, but I will say, and I think this is important, Courtney, like Booger today, uh, I think it was on Get Up, addressed the fact that, you know, as much as we want to talk about Jalen Ramsey versus Jamar Chase, the Rams actually run a ton of zone. And so, like, the the chances that we're actually going to get a bunch of Jalen versus Jamar, like, it might be in the the vicinity, but, like, that's not an individual one-on-one matchup. No, and I mean, I think that that's Raheem Morris's bread and butter. That's why they were able to beat the Bucks earlier this season and why they were able to beat them again in the divisional round. I mean, that's like that's why they are so successful. And when you have that many receivers that the Cincinnati Bengals do, that's the game that you have to play. That is the game plan that you have to deploy in order to account for everybody, right? Like, I know that he wants that Jamar Chase matchup and that he wants to be the shutdown corner who takes the superstar rookie of the year out of the game. But from a realistic perspective of how the Rams are going to beat the Cincinnati Bengals, like, it's probably not going to be, like, any one guy on any one receiver. Like, you have to account for a lot of different skill players. 
Yeah, and and I keep looking at T Huggins Higgins when you talk about the uh, skill players. I tried to combine T Higgins with Bob Huggins. You're welcome. So uh, I keep thinking about T, who's somebody that throughout the course of the playoffs has had some regrettable drops, and there's been opportunities for him to take some of the pressure off of Jamar Chase. And it feels like in this situation, in this Super Bowl, somebody like T Higgins could have a lot of opportunities because let's face it, they are going to roll coverage to try and do whatever they can to at least limit Jamar, which is going to give some opportunities for a guy like T to really step up and become that other receiver that can be huge for them that's what the Rams have you look offensively like it's not just about Odell Beckham Jr it's not just about Cooper Cup it's about both right like Mm -hmm. there's got to be that other guy in the both conversation for the Bengals in my mind yeah I mean there's you know they are so loaded at the skill position and I think when we talk about that narrative that's been out there all year long about the Bengals are underrated that the underdog etc etc are they really like, can't their skill position stack up with the Rams or anybody else's? Like, that to me is, you know, the the easiest way to, like, around that argument. Like, look at the guys that they have that Joe Burrow's throwing the ball to or handing off the ball to in, in terms of Joe Mixon. So, I uh, I just feel like you can't – you have to account for so many more players than Jamar Chase, although we did do our prop bets earlier, and I think we both expect him to have a really good game on Super Bowl Sunday. Um, trying to slow him down is going to take more than Jalen Ramsey. I think that's one of the themes of the Super Bowl in general. There are a handful of players that won't be shut down easily. Whether we're talking about Aaron Donald, who I keep making the joke should be announced as part of the starting lineup for the Bengals uh, offense because he's going to be in the backfield the whole time. But, like, it's going to take help to slow down Aaron Donald. It's going to take help to slow down Jamar Chase. The question is, which one of those people can actually break through? That's going to be most interesting. Most interesting is Freddie and Fitzsimmons. Jamar Chase is going to be hanging out with them next. Be sure to hang out with Spain and Fitz. Thanks for Courtney for filling in with Sarah.